From the Center for Conscious Communication, this is Leading Life. Hi, everyone. My name is Stacy Carruth, and I'm the founder of the Center for Conscious Communication, and this is Leading Life, a podcast spotlighting women business leaders who are making a difference, following their passion and challenging the status quo. Today, my guest is Lindsay Grant. You may recognize Lindsay currently as the co-owner of Grant Street Grocery, the executive director of The Lyric, or the owner of an Airbnb in downtown Casper. It's true, Lindsay wears a number of hats, and at the heart of it all is her love for community and her want to contribute in a meaningful way. And Lindsay is here today to talk about it all. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, Stacy. Hi, everybody. Let's jump right in. I know that you traveled after college, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think you even lived in London for a little while, but I, you may have to correct me on that. But can you tell me about how that or anything else in your past has influenced your work life today? Of course. I, I did live in London. I went to university for four years in London out of just about out of high school. I spent a little bit of time at Casper College getting some, you know, good credits to transfer over there and moved to London, kind of thought I'd make it about six months or a semester. I remember thinking um, as a 18 year old, like, you can always come home. It's okay. Like, just six months and like, you know, nobody will, nobody will fault you for that. Like you tried, right? I remember thinking that as I was leading up to leaving and ended up staying for, got my entire degree from a university there and enjoyed learning about a very different life in another country, a lot of different people and a lot of lessons were, were definitely learned there. Yeah. What were your biggest takeaways from that time? independence was a really big one. You know, I had moved thousands of miles away from any kind of support. I think that made it extra challenging, but really highlighted my persistence in my personality that made me want to kind of, despite the many challenges and many things that happened and how hard it was, just knowing that that's where I wanted to be. And was learning the things that I wanted to learn and persisted through that. Uh, the other, many of the things that I remember from that time, or as I reflect back on that time, I see how many people that I met from different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages, different colors, different religions, like was able to meet some amazing people and learn about the world in a very different way in a very challenging time in our history as well. It was post 9-11. And so it's just a really interesting way to be living in another country and getting a different perspective while I was there. Oh my gosh, I bet so. So talking about that persistence too, I think it's important from the beginning here to let our audience know if they don't know already that you are a single woman. And someone who's been married like me for 30 plus years, I so admire you and how you've taken care of yourself financially, not only with a nine to five job, but also as an entrepreneur without the benefit of having a dual income or that cushion to fall back on. 
So I wonder what gave you the courage to branch out on your own and uh, what did that first step look like? I think I was probably more, it felt maybe a little bit more pushed into it than I think I you drive for it. Um, it kind of happened as a lot of things just sort of happened. And I was just kind of trying to embrace things that had happened around me. So I, gosh, thinking about as what was the first entrepreneurial step um, that I took, I think as a graphic designer, I've always been driven to continue like making beautiful things. And so if somebody came to me and wanted a little logo or something, I was kind of doing that stuff on the side as just sort of like a little side job. And my degree was in visual communication, photography, but I was learning about graphic design at the time. So I done a lot of little side photography jobs. So I don't think, I guess I probably never really had just a single nine to five. There was always something else that was kind of happening in the background. And when I started uh, my graphic design business, uh, Third Street Lab, it definitely was from a pressure perspective in terms of a lot of things were happening. And it was like, do you want to go work for somebody or can you just do this for yourself with the relationships that you built and be sustainable? It was hard. It was hard to, you know, believe in yourself enough to think like, okay, I have enough to survive. Like you, you mentioned, of course, as a single woman, like I'm, I don't, I can't, I don't have somebody else's contributions to the household that way. And it was making sure that I had my rent covered and you were still able to do the things that I wanted. And, and so you had a really, I had to really kind of take a look at what does that business, what does my business, business model need to write a business plan to say, this is how many clients you have to have. This is how much income you have to have to have the life that I wanted. And yeah, there was a lot of learning that happened in those those first few years. So Third Street Lab is where you started. Now, I know you as granted images. So was there something that transpired there that I'm not aware of? When I started granted images, that I think it came out of like a branding project from my university. And that's the email that you use. Like, of course, I would, you know, I also have a third street lab email. So I was using that because I was kind of very photography based in that freelance work that I was doing and kind of elevated into this place. And at the, t when I changed to third street lab was when I uh, moved into my building on third street where I was living and had built the apartment that I lived in for, gosh, I think I lived there for six years or something before I moved out and bought a house and all this other kind of stuff. Third Street Lab was named after obviously the street where my building was, but I named it sort of lab as a two-parter. It was for the sort of the lab of creativity where I you know, things happen, experimentations, and you know, I was doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it was kind of that, that. And then also it was I named it after my dog, Lulu, who was, you know, certainly my companion in that time. Uh, the coworker, if you will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about real estate because Third Street Lab is all coming together for me, uh, knowing that that's the apartment building that you bought. But going back in my memory, you know, I've known you 10 plus years. And the first time I met you, Lindsay, I remember talking about you finding a house that you really liked a lot. 
But the idea of buying a house was really scary at that time. And you were young. So, I mean, I think that totally makes sense. And a single woman, like I say. So something, though, changed because you did end up buying not only a house, but an apartment building with three separate apartments and living in one of those for a time. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what that process looked like and what you've learned from that. The building came about when I I needed a place to live. I had moved to Denver after a time and came back and I needed an apartment and I needed a cheap apartment, right? So I I found this place that was um, downtown and I was like, great, I want to live close. You know, I want to be in the city. I want to be near near my friends who lived in the neighborhood as well. And I wasn't ready to own. I think at that time it was, you know, have you have no savings, you know, all of these things that are happening and you're just kind of like floating, if you will, and just trying to figure out one step at a time, much less the, I feel the thought process that would go into buying a property, right? Or buying a house. And it was so intimidating and so scary and felt so incredibly permanent to me that I just said, Oh no, I don't want to, I want to, I want to be able to leave when I want to leave. You know, I, when I, when I think about myself, when I visualize that it felt like a a ball and chain, if you will, or something that was like holding me back, which looking at it now is it's the complete opposite. Right. But I was living in this apartment. It had four units to it and two of the units were completely in uh, mid construction and had not. I, I think I was there for almost a year and no no work had was do, being done on them. My dad is in construction and would come over and he was always poking his head in the windows down there, being like, "What are you know What are they doing?" And she, he would ask me like, "You know, you need to ask the building owner what's the plan." And so it really was his kind of like sometimes not so subtle nudges into, you know, pushing, getting, getting his daughter to like make some, some permanent roots, I think, and said, you know, you should talk to her about it. And I said, fine, you want to buy the building, you buy the building and I'll just rent from you and that'll be great. And um, at the end of the day, what unfolded through this process was that I was the one who bought the building um, and we were able to work on this kind of renovation of the two units downstairs to turn them into one two bedroom apartment that I was able to design. I was, you know, working with my brother on the construction project as well. So it kind of became a family thing. And I got to be involved in like those decisions that were like, well, this is the countertop that I want. And, you know, dreaming kind of big in this, in the space that it got me excited about being a little permanent, if you will, right? And and kind of like living in a place that is yours instead of renting, which I did for my whole life. I've moved around a ton just through living in London and all this other kind of stuff. You just, you had to be very nimble and lived out of a suitcase for years at a time. You had two suitcases that I lived out of and all you had was your stuff. And so, you know, this felt, it was exciting to do that project. Yeah, so you built yourself a place to live downstairs, and then you were renting the two apartments upstairs as long-term rentals. When did you change that to an Airbnb, and what made you decide? I probably had long-term tenants upstairs for probably almost two years, I think. And it was certainly lower income per month, and all the utilities were included. So I was just kind of 
it was that barely kind of getting by. It wasn't certainly wasn't paying for my mortgage or anything like that. I was still paying a, you know, rent and upkeep and all these things. And when I got noticed that one of my tenants was leaving, I I want to say Airbnb wasn't terribly universally known, certainly not in Wyoming. Um, I hadn't seen a lot of these examples and I maybe it only stayed in one or two Airbnbs at this point. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to give this a shot. I had, I think I had like a month or two months that it was going to be empty before I could get another tenant signed. So I moved all of my, my furniture from my guest bedroom upstairs into that apartment and, you know, tried to put kind of decorate it with the stuff that I had. I didn't buy anything bespoke for it and put it up on Airbnb. And I made enough money to kind of like help bridge that gap between long-term tenant and long-term tenant. Mm -hmm. And when that next tenant left, I said, Oh no. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. I'm, I, I see, I saw a little taste of the, of what the potential was and decided to furnish this one unit as an Airbnb, which was another reinvestment in the building with all that upfront cost and never run an Airbnb before, you know, never had a cleaning service, any, who knew anything about hospitality, right? <laughs> and just said, well, this will be, this will be good and let's see how it goes. And from there, I turned the other unit into an Airbnb about two years later, I think, or maybe a year and a half later after some other renovations. And then I had two sort of short-term furnished apartments getting really good traffic. And I was making, you know, a lot more per month than I was when it was empty. And so I was like, all right, this is great. And that gave me the confidence to move out of that building into a house. In 2019, I bought a house and said, okay, let's do a you know, two bedroom apartment and turn that into an Airbnb, which I did in 2021 was the first year that I uh, stepped into that space to have all three of them. You know, I was worried like, well, you know, your three apartments are going to take away from your own business by having three, you're saturating your own market. And that's not been the case. It's been in the, in the last year since I started doing Airbnb in all three, it's been, it's been incredible. It's been a great experience. And you've grown your income 30%, I think I heard you say as well. So it's been... Uh, what I would interject to say is it's actually 300%. It's gone up. It wasn't... I don't think it's gone up 30%. It's gone up 300%. Mm-hmm. I, I was only able to do... I had such a limited amount of income coming from only two units being rented on a short-term basis that to turn all three into Airbnbs has increased that potential by 300%. Now my expenses have gone up also exponentially, of course, because you're investing in having a person who's helping you manage the building, manage a property, do the cleaning. Uh, You have to buy, it's the weird, you're buying shampoo of, you know, somebody ruins a something you have to buy uh, a new one. I've had artwork stolen from the lobby of my building and you have to come up with you're using your savings to purchase things that kind of need updated and then taking on buying a brand new, uh, furnishing my apartment was an intense amount of funds, but it was exciting. And that was, you know, that was the kind of the creative thing uh, Mm -hmm. for me that I enjoyed, which was decorating those apartments and 
uh, is a little different than the way that I decorate my own home. You know, with an apartment, I think I had to do one of my apartments I did. I think I had everything arriving, ordering online, multiple runs to Target. It was in a, a, <laughs> a week almost before your first guest arrives. And then two bedroom unit, I think I had, I might've had a month, but my, my decorating style or my style at my own house has been curated over years. You know, it, it, not, nothing happened overnight in terms of collection of and style and all those things. My sense of security, I think was met when I realized what the financial future looked like for me by owning property, gaining equity in it. Um, and that I will always have gratitude for my dad who pushed me into that point because I didn't, I couldn't see it at the time. I saw it as this other thing and it became something that actually is, can help me be sustainable, be independent, work towards my retirement. You know, it's amazing how many conversations I have about <laughs> my own retirement right now. The you know conversations change with my friends. It's not all about, we're not thinking necessarily about this week or this year anymore. It's saying, okay, what are you doing? What does your 401k look like? What does your investments look like? And a property comes up often to make sure that like that is part of my financial um, stability in the future. So that was a big need, I think, that was a very much an unknown when I started uh, on that journey to to know that this is the best thing that I could have done. Uh, so there's the the security side and then the fun side of being able to decorate and make it your own and and really just dive into that side of it as well. Would you tell me just a little bit about how it was to go and buy all the things for for your Airbnb? Yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, struggles of being the only person doing this. I remember standing, I was down in Colorado and I had, it was one of those, it was like a, you have got to buy all this stuff now. And I had things coming in online, you know, deliveries were arriving daily you're going to shopping at all these places. And I happen to be down in Denver and I said, okay, I need to go to, you know, those big stores. So I have a variety of things. We're kind of limited in Casper for these two things, variety and affordability, right? I needed some, I needed a big, big place to do that. But I was standing in uh, whatever store it was. And I had, I think I had two shopping carts piled to the top of, you know, all the things that you forget forget about that you need to stock in an Airbnb until you get, start getting feedback from your guests of like, yeah, it would have been nice if you had a, you know, can opener or whatever. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of that stuff. I learned a lot from my guests who did a lot of informing of what was missing, but standing in line and saying, you can't pick this up and bring this with you because you physically cannot get to the line to get the cart, to get all the things, to load it in your car, because nobody's here to help you. Like you're on your own. And I sat down. I remember sitting down. I was exhausted. I may have been a little hungover as well. And <laughs> just like sat in one of the display chairs and was, I took, it was like 15 minutes. I just had to sit there and wait to get my strength back and my energy back to just make it through the line. It was quite an adventure. So yeah, definitely fulfilled a creative need for me to uh, kind of do that. And, and it continues to be validated as well by Airbnb reviews or just people giving compliments. So it's been reassuring and validating in that way. 
So with Grant Street, let's talk a little bit. Let's switch gears over here to Grant Street, because while you're doing all of this, was Grant Street in the works? And let's talk a little bit about what is Grant Street for the people that don't know. Grant Street Grocery and Market is a 105-year-old neighborhood grocery store in Casper, Wyoming, in the in a historic part of Casper, Wyoming. It was something that served a small group of people back in 1918, right? We didn't really necessarily have cars or individual refrigeration. And so the neighbor neighborhoods uh, all around the country would have had these kind of grocery stores. Over time, of course, they disappear. We see bigger box stores. They've been converted into businesses or homes and things like that. And this business persisted as well over the years from the loving care of owners uh, who had come in and wanted to maintain some kind of a this treasure for the community. When Grant Street was starting to have some hard times in 2014 and 2015 from a user perspective, you know, people had been going there for a long time for the uh, great meats and cheeses and, you know, just this unique shopping experience. Any building that has been around for a hundred years is going to have some hardships, right? Like when it comes to infrastructure and equipment and things like that. And when some of those things started to fail, it became more evident that they, that there was more help that was needed. And I was in communication with some uh, friends and neighbors who were also concerned because we all loved it. We all wanted to continue shopping there and wanted to support this, this business. And over the course of kind of getting involved in just seeing how could, how could anybody help? Um, the, the right answer became that these neighbors needed to purchase it and renovate it and get it up to the 21st century. And, I met my partners through a pretty cool thing as well. We, I had been working with the Wyoming Symphony Orchestra for 10 years off and on, not only in the office uh, as the development director, but I continued to kind of contract with them after that as well. And they were one of my first clients with Third Street Lab. So it was, you know, very near and dear to my heart. And it's been a lot of time working with the board and the staff at that time. And I knew or Terry Johnson knew that I was kind of involved in trying to help and called me and said, what is going on with Grant Street and how can, how can we help him and his wife, Dell live nearby? And um, that engaged a conversation with their neighbor, uh, Susan Holmes and her husband, Doug. And we all sat down at a dinner table one night and said, Hey, what are we going to do? Or how can we help? And I'm sure, you know, I was certainly there just sort of as the person who was in the know and not somebody who could come and help financially support um, a renovation of this project. So that stepped into what does the future of the store look like? How do we make it sustainable? And a lot of that was from that infrastructure perspective, of course, hire, we needed to hire a builder, an architect, and kind of get um, get the help that we needed and get the help that Grand Street needed um, to make it another hundred years. And that's always been our goal uh, as partners was to say, you know, what can we do to help it last for another hundred years? That really fed uh, another creative part of me. You know, I had finished renovating the building, which was sort of another 
one of those like growing pain kind of things where I, you, you do something that's really painful and you're like, ah, I'll never do it again. And then you forget about it. And you're like, oh man, I want another project. And so I just finished, I'd finished the building and said, I'll never do that again, but had a craving. You know, I had this thing in Grant Street, that opportunity came up and really fed another part of me that enjoyed historical renovations and designing from the ground up, working with uh, the team of us and others to kind of bring to bring to life a project. So that was a really cool thing. And of course I got into it and said, I'll never do that again. You know, <laughs> the, the construction process is quite painful and, or it can be, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. And, but I, I, we came out with a really good product and it was a, uh, Grant Street is certainly something that, that su- still supports the neighborhood and supports an entire community with creative food choices. Um, it's another wonderful curation job for me. I get to come in and source makers from around the world and around the country who are doing really cool things with food. And that's everything from pasta to cooking sauces and seasonings and chocolates. And and that part of me is really excited to curate these opportunities for Casper, where we, we are kind of in a isolated food desert when it comes to opportunities like that. And, you know, thank God for the internet. Most people can get anything online now, but this is an opportunity for people to come in and have an experience in their own town. It really speaks to that sense of community too, because there is such a sense of community at Grant Street Grocery. So you're the face of Grant Street Grocery, really. And I wonder if that, if buying all those those products and bringing them into you know, this food desert, if that really is what lights you up most about Grant Street, or what is your favorite thing about running Grant Street? My favorite thing with the store has definitely been absolutely the creativity, but it's been the customers. It's been able to get to know the people who come in and are uh, intrigued and enjoy the the same types of things that, that I do and have a very really enlarging the community of people that I knew before this really added to it and um, you know, making friends along the way I've been there. I, you know, you, you have customers come in and you meet their brand new babies and you get to celebrate marriages. And I've been to funerals of customers because I've really, we've really developed relationships with these folks uh, and they've been, they become near and dear to our hearts. I think that was the most unexpected benefit. I, I don't know that I knew that getting into it, that that would really be the thing that would all help keep me going, right? Because the creativity can only last so long if nobody else's, if nobody's picking it up, right? If nobody's enjoying it and coming back in and saying, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, this is so great. You just have the greatest this or that, or, you know, I love your cards and people come in and I say, I try really hard. Like I, 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 but I love it. You know, they're like, Oh, you have such the greatest things. Yep. I, I try really hard to make it really fun and exciting and things that bring me joy. I hope also bring other people joy. So what about the lyric? Let's talk a little bit about the lyric as well, because that in the midst of Grant street, that's something that you took on as well. So you moved from uh, the Wyoming symphony over to the lyric, right? And what what do you do there? I left my company, Third Street Lab, kind of in order to take over the lyric. I was serving on the board of this 
um, group that was trying to build a performing arts hall in downtown Casper. And because of my connection to the symphony, it was something that was always saying, you know, we need a place for um, not only our local groups like the symphony and others to uh, have a home that isn't in a high school, but also a place that can curate a lot of other entertainment options. We're really limited here in the types of spaces that Casper has for the performing arts that they're either privately owned or, you know, who hasn't been in the a church or a high school or a fairgrounds or just a, sometimes we just were able to watch entertainment and it's in a bar and it's just not the same experience as being in a, being in a space that's really built and made for something like that. And we were very lucky to have, uh, you know, for the last almost 40 years, I think it's 40 years that the event center um, started in Casper. Now the Ford Wyoming center that was able to bring in all these bigger shows and things, but those are big shows and we don't have anything that's really in the middle um, for size and getting involved in that from a board perspective was something that, you know, when I moved back from Denver, I said, I really want to get involved in the community. I really want to get involved in Casper and being a part of adding to what we already have. We have a lot of phenomenal things about our community and our state and looking in, at the things that we don't have. How can I bring them to us? How Or how can I be involved? I, I would never in my wildest dreams be the only person that's doing all of this lift. I've worked with some amazing people, volunteering with groups, joining boards. You know, those are the types of things that really kind of create create change. And when I first came back from Denver, I volunteered with the Downtown Development Authority. And that was a group that brought about David Street Station. And I mean, we were we were working on projects like having a public restroom. I mean, really kind of seemingly boring things, but really obvious things that that we needed to have to support a, you know, the heart of our community in downtown. And the lyric was a big part of, I think, the next phase for our community when it comes to entertainment and retention of youth and recruitment of businesses and continuing to make Casper a livable community. And there's a goal that you are going after as well. So tell me a little bit about the progress that you've made on the goal and when we might be able to expect that the Lyric will be operational. When I started at the Lyric in 2019, I think was when I was my first year here as executive director and was very excited kicking off a big major capital campaign with my board and other other um, committee members and volunteers to do a really heavy capital campaign lift of $30 million. And hindsight in all of us had no idea that the pandemic was coming. Mm-hmm. And um, within a year of starting, we are not really able to fundraise in the same way that we would have been able to without that. Um, so it made things very difficult and kind of had us, gave us a step back from our our initial timeline and our initial amount that we were looking to raise everything got more expensive and um set set us to where where we're now which is I'm looking to 
to raise even more than that. Uh, we're about 30% of the goal raised, which is really exciting. We've done some amazing things in the last year. Once sort of all of a lot of the barriers sort of were able to lift and people were able to focus on the future of the community. And we were kind of able to see outside of that um, pandemic cloud of the now. So it's exciting. I hope, I mean, you know, I'm, I've always looking for help from folks to, that can help us uh, raise the money or give to support the lyric and its um, progress. I would love to say that by 2025, we would be able to walk in and, and have a conversation in this building, but we, we have some uh, aggressive steps to, to meet before we can do that. Gosh, I'd just like to say from the Airbnb, you know, not even buying a how a home for yourself first, but buying mm-hmm. actually an apartment building, renovating a grocery store that's over a hundred years old with partners, and then this big capital campaign for the lyric. You don't think small, Lindsay. This is the, it's all a big deal. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, when I talk about it, you know, in retrospect, and I think about all these things, it is kind of, I'm like, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? But maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing is like, I don't really think about it, I guess. I have like, I've really had to stop planning because what I think happens has not happened, right? You know, I would, I'd be married and living in London right now, basically, if I, if I had thought, if I had was doing what I thought I would have been doing um, when I was younger. And just that, that letting things unfold and taking, taking things one step at a time and, and really letting the lessons um, happen and trying to be as reflective of those lessons um, after the fact, I, I, I've really had to stop thinking too far in the future because my fear, fear will get in the way of all of this stuff. And if I said, or if I let the fear take over and that inner critic and all of those things that exist in all of us, I would not have bought a building. I never would have thought that a grocery store like what we have now in Casper would have happened. I never would have thought, I mean, you can say all of the things that never, never, never could have happened. (laughs) And I, one of the, I I talk about this with a lot of people who are, are also like negative projectionists. And I'm like, look, look, (laughs) that, that bridge does not exist right now. Don't live there. We have got to build the bridge when we get to it and we'll figure it out. And that was really a powerful thing to understand or to accept like willpower has really been amazing to look back on and say, you can do anything like you can do hard things and you just got to get up and do it over and over and over again and be not being afraid to fall. Or even when you do being able to pick yourself up because none of this has come easy and none of it has been without blood, sweat, and tears and more tears and more tears and screaming at the universe and, you know, all of that stuff. And, and I just have to help or I tell myself, you can have a day. This is the hard day. And I, and then you got to get up and you got to go and you got to do the next thing. That was, that was a big part of um, what's helped, what's helped me persist and helping myself. Now, with all that in mind, I wonder if you can look back on your last 10 years 
and share with me your fondest memory of this time that can be hard. As I was preparing to answer this question, I went back and I said, oh my gosh, where were, where were you even 10 years ago? Because I, I couldn't, I could not place myself. And I, you know, bless the internet again. We, I was so happy to be able to see that I still was, I was posting on Instagram in 2013 and that was fairly new. I didn't have a whole lot of posts before that. And in May of 2013, I was preparing to go to New York City uh, with a friend of mine, Sean Rivet, and we, we were going and we we went to a design conference and I was going to, I don't know, we were going to, we had all these plans and dreams and all this wonderful stuff that was going to come out of, of the future based on that trip um, when it came to furniture and design and just, I don't know, taking over the world kind of, kind of mentality. To look at that time was pretty amazing to realize where we were then and where he is, he's not with me today, which is, which is, which was, you know, really hard to look back on. The best things that I can say about the last 10 years was the travel that I have had the the opportunity to do with my life as a single, you know, like I've taken a bit off a lot and I still have been blessed with my friendships, um, my family to support me in all these things. And since to saying yes to adventure and the unknown, and um, I would never have guessed 10 years ago that this would be what my life looked like. All the things that I have right now had were not part of my my world 10 years ago. So where do you see yourself 10 years from now, Lindsay? <laughs> I don't even, I have absolutely no idea. And I'm not intimidated by that anymore. I think that's kind of uh, what, what has come from uh, resilience and age or whatever, but I don't even, I have no idea. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm excited to see what comes and I'm open to what comes and I will celebrate it hopefully in 10 years that everything has gone well and hopefully less crying, but probably not, but probably not, you know. Yeah. It's all, it's all encompassed in it, right? It's all part of the the process. It is. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I'm going to wrap up there. And I just want to say, I feel so inspired by everything that you shared today. And I love the idea of, we don't know what's going to happen. And it's okay. And really, maybe there's something better about not knowing what's going to happen, because we're willing to take the risks and, and do the big things. And you are such an example of that. And I so appreciate you sharing that with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on this and being a part of so many amazing women that you have brought to this table and been able to share their wisdom because we, we, we can do it with the help of our friends. And I always appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, we've come a long way too. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Leading Life, a production by the Center for Conscious Communication, hosted by me, Stacy Carruth. I'd like to thank Ty Pierce for his artwork and technical guidance. 
If you haven't already, make sure to follow Leading Life on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you again next time.